Hello and welcome to Strange Sound. This is Joe of Strange Sound. This is episode 22. That's two twos. Two twos in a row. That's right. Episode 22 of Strange Sound. Thanks for listening. Um, And hope everyone is okay out there. I'm pretty sure everyone isn't okay, but I hope if you're listening to this uh, that you're feeling well. Um, not because you're listening to this, but because you're just otherwise feeling well in these strange and kind of disconcerting times um, when people are getting very ill and having a lot of troubles related to the ongoing pandemic, um, both health-wise and um, economically. Um, We've all seen a little piece of it. And some people, as I've mentioned in previous episodes, are being hit a lot harder than others. Um, My life has been affected by it, but not nearly as badly as most people, I would say. And it's, it's a scary time. It's a scary and disconcerting time. And, um, we have to do what we can for our fellows. So as I have in previous episodes, I want to encourage you to, particularly if you live in a red state, but also in in blue states and in purple states, um, contact your legislators, um, contact your congress member, contact your senators, and tell them to support a meaningful assistance package for people who are being affected by this pandemic and who are either standing down because that's the thing that makes the most sense um, at this point, Um, this surging sort of resurgence of the coronavirus in various sections of the country that are not New York and not New Jersey, (laughs) Um, though it's still a problem up here, but also the folks that are on the front lines of this thing fighting for their lives pretty much every day. Um, trying to protect themselves. They need support. They need help. Um, and really only our government can do. This isn't a GoFundMe type thing. Our government, our national government, is the only entity that can help um, and that can make a difference in people's lives in this regard. This is not the sort of thing that volunteers can take care of. This is not the sort of thing that charity can take care of. This is the sort of thing that government was made for, and this is what government should do. So we should encourage our legislators, our senators, our congresspeople to do the right thing and extend jobless benefits, um, extend the moratorium on evictions, um, and do whatever is necessary to get people through the end of this crisis. And that's, uh, you know, as I've said in previous episodes, that's something that I think we all should do is just encourage them to do the right thing. Otherwise, they won't know. 
because they don't automatically know what the right thing is. They're too busy listening to all those lobbyists who tell them that the right thing is to give them extra money. In any case, what are we talking about today? Well, a lot of different things on our minds, but I mean, there's <laughs> this has been one of those weeks where I suppose every week is one of those weeks. I don't want to um, understate that, how odd this period is, even without the COVID crisis, how strange it's been for the last three years, particularly. It's been like drinking from a fire hose, obviously. Um, but this week, things took a very um, dark turn in certain respects. This week we saw, amongst many other things, we saw COVID skeptic Louis Gohmert test positive for COVID. He has also apparently passed it along to Raul Raul Grijalva, um, a fellow Texas Congress member, uh, a progressive, um, as opposed to Louis Gohmert, who is a ridiculous um, right-wing Republican and kind of a nutcase. But apparently, uh, uh, Louis has been uh, sharing his viral load with uh, a lot of other people, including probably a number of his staff members, which is uh, <laughs> very endearing and shaming people for wearing masks. I mean, this this is the thing that they've decided to turn into a political issue. Just doing this basic thing to keep each other safe. And mind you, we keep learning more about this virus and how this is decidedly not something that you want to get one way or the other, whether you're young or old. This is something that you want to try to avoid. Because um, the more it's looked at, the more people are realizing that there are cardiovascular implications of getting COVID, that it's not simply a um, respiratory ailment, that uh, there are other bodily systems that get, that get involved and affected by this illness. And if you have underlying conditions, um, this could be fatal. If you don't have underlying conditions, it can create um, problems that will be long-lasting and perhaps permanent. Um, it may give you heart damage. It may give you cardiovascular damage in some way. Um, and if you're older and you've, you've, got, you've already got those things, um, this could kill you. So, I mean, <laughs> this is not a time to turn wearing a mask into a political issue. I mean, it already is. I realize that. I realize the right has decided, you know, that they're going to make this into one of their sort of totem freedom issues. You can't tell me what to do. I saw some of Herman Cain's tweets on this just today. I hadn't really been following this, but I saw uh, someone had reposted some of his tweets. Um, even after he got he tested positive for COVID, I think. Um, 
him still calling it a hoax, basically calling it a hoax, and he's dead of COVID. What a hill to die on. Here's this guy that showed up at that Tulsa rally for Trump, his Klan rally in Tulsa. Somewhat poorly attended, but still there were thousands of people there, and none of them were wearing masks. Very few of them. In fact, they made a point of it. And there was Herman Cain, crowded in with a bunch of other people, none of them wearing masks, all of them shouting, doing all the stuff that uh, you probably shouldn't do if you're worried about catching this disease. And a lot of them caught COVID, including Herman Cain, and now he's dead. But he, you know, all the way down, calling it a hoax, even while it was killing him. This is just sad. That's really disturbing. You know, what does it take for people to realize that (laughs) this is not a joke? And it's part of what I wanted to talk about today is this sort of separation between perception and reality. There's, There's nothing terribly new about that in American culture, but it just seems like with the Trump administration, this has just been bumped up to another, a whole new level. He has raised it to a whole new level. And I attribute this largely to his tenure as a reality television star. I mean, this is what animates him, right? Donald Trump has been in the public eye for decades he wasn't always a reality television person because he he predates reality television. But he was always a publicity hound, right? So he was always trying to get his face in the paper and try to, you know, get reported on. He he would he would pretend to be his own publicist. He would make up a name and call up journalists and call himself John Miller or John Barron or whatever. And uh you know, pretend like he was sharing inside details of Donald Trump's life, you know, um, so that they, you know, printed in some column somewhere. He wanted to be in the spotlight. He wanted the free publicity. But, you know, as his career um, as a real estate mogul went up and down several times, um, mostly down. He was, you know, he, he was in pretty dire straits until he got rescued by, of all people, NBC, who gave him a show. They gave him a reality television show called The Apprentice. And that raised his fortunes considerably over the course of those years when he was on that show. And I don't know how long that show was on because I never saw it, but I know that it was a popular show and I know that it was on for a number of years and that brought Donald Trump into the households of millions of Americans. So NBC played a key role in introducing this piece of shit to an entire generation of Americans via um, this, what at the time was a relatively new new format of television program, the reality television show, which 
you know, I can understand the attraction of reality television shows to the networks and to the various studios because it's very inexpensive to produce. You know, you don't have to worry that much about scripting. Um, you don't have to hire actors. You basically are hiring, you know, people off the street. Some people are actors, some not. It's it's a low cost, high impact, you know, form of entertainment. It's bread and circuses. It's seeing people have arguments with each other. Uh, so that, you know, later on you'll be like, oh, did you hear what he said about that? Did you hear what he said to her? Did you hear what she said to him? Did you hear what she said to her? Did you, <laughs> you know, the various permutations. It's like, it's designed to create a train wreck on television. Um, to encourage a train wreck. I see it as kind of an outgrowth of the talk shows of the previous decades. Like, you know, um, obviously there was the Phil Donahue's and the the Oprah Winfrey's and all that. And there was like, you know, uh, Morton Downey Jr., who um, I first encountered as a, uh, as a casino act in Reno, Nevada in 1978. I didn't go see it myself, but uh, I was out there with some fellow musicians and they had gone out to... <laughs> gone out to one of the casinos and came back laughing about this act that they saw, um, a performer named Morton Downey Jr. And uh, that was before he was known. Um, and, uh, and Morton Downey Jr., I'm quite sure it's the same person, but later on became a, you know, talk show host, one of the the vanguard of that entire generation of of talk show hosts. The Yargle Bargle Chorus, as I would call them. They're kind of like anticipated Rush Limbaugh by a number of years. Um, but again, I see that as kind of like a precursor to reality television because they bring people on. I can remember these ridiculous um, talk shows where they'd have people on who who purported to be space aliens and they'd be talking about how these space aliens are... <laughs> I mean... It, it, just asinine and they'd have live audiences and they'd always like cut back to the audience and the host would be out in the audience you know sort of confronting the guests who were still up on the dais and uh you know it, it's just melodrama you've seen it if you're of a certain age if you're close to my age and you you watched television in the 80s you know you you know what i'm talking about the Maury Povich's constant series of dramatic melodramatic confrontations between people sometimes related to each other um in in later form it was like dr phil and you know dr oz i mean this, some of these are still on on television they kind of become the same thing so there's it still persists to this day but reality television really was kind of like that in that they were just kind of throwing people together and creating scenarios and making them do ridiculous things. A lot of times they were there were these sort of contest things like Survivor. Um, but, um, you know, and that's, that's kind of the tradition that The Apprentice came out of, right? And, and this is what, <laughs> so, I mean, it's the popularity of that. 
I always hated reality television, but in a way that's in a way that's that's partly the reaction they expect out of you, right? You you were either like in love with it or you hated it, and the main thing was that you react to it, that you have some kind of emotional response to it, that you have a strong response to it, whether it's positive or negative, right? And that's the sort of thing that you know. Trump encountered people people either loved the guy or despised him and as a reality television host you know he's he's basically in charge right he's he's the whole show people tune in to watch him you know make an ass out of I don't know Meatloaf or uh, Gary Busey or um, Governor Bogoyevich <laughs> after his uh, fall from grace and uh, and other you know other celebrities and and unknowns, unknown people, uh, who became known by virtue of this television show. Um, there was a time when I believe it was in 2012 when uh, Donald Trump was sort of floating the idea that he was going to run for the Republican nomination to run against uh, Barack Obama um, during his reelect campaign, and I remember. Um, Lawrence O'Donnell's show had just begun back then on MSNBC. And he was sort of tracking that process. And uh, he, w- he was being like, I have to say, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a huge fan of Lawrence O'Donnell, but I have to say he was, <laughs> that was some of his best programming was, was back then because he was like really ripping on NBC for giving this guy a platform. <laughs> and this is in 20, 2011 or 2012. It was during a time when uh, Donald Trump was working on his renewal contract with NBC. And Lawrence O'Donnell was saying at that time, you know, the main reason why Trump is affecting to run for president is because he is trying to negotiate a contract with NBC. And as soon as he gets that contract, then he's going to drop the bid. And that's basically what happened. That's basically what happened. He got his contract renewed by NBC, and then the next thing you knew, uh, this, the talk about running for the Republican nomination for president was was all over. And uh, <laughs> that was the first sort of dive at that, right? I mean, this is in the wake of him talking about, you know, promoting the birtherism, um, the the birtherism hoax about Obama and doing a lot of, you know, television appearances talking about this. Um, he was making the transition at that point from strictly a reality show, you know, jackass to a political player essentially you know building on this pre-existing uh conspiracy theory about obama not being a natural born american and therefore being an illegitimate president um which of course is a you know it's everyone knows is a kind of a it's a stand-in for saying, you know, that as as a black person, he is illegitimate, um, shouldn't be president, um, and and that's 
that's the sort of that's the unspoken part of that. It's very similar to <laughs> it's really very similar to um their claim of, you know, people voting fraudulently. Um the idea of people engaging in voter fraud. Pretty much anyone who doesn't look like them and doesn't vote like them are is considered fraudulent to them anyway. Um, it isn't because they're doing anything wrong or they're breaking any laws. They have every right to vote. Um, these are citizens. But the trope is going to be, you know, there's millions of people voting fraudulently, even though we don't have any evidence of that. We're going to say there are millions of people who voted fraudulently in, say, 2016, maybe even 2018, um, because the subtext of that is that these people, because of the way they vote, because of the way they look, and because of who they are, um, they don't have a legitimate right to vote. Only you, as a white person, have a legitimate right to vote. These people are all illegitimate, just like... Obama and his uh, Kenyan birth certificate <laughs> that that couldn't be produced, right? So, so that's uh, that inflection point in like 2011, 2012 was where Trump started making the transition from being merely a um, reality show host and star. Um, Supported and promoted and elevated by NBC, I hasten to add, making the transition between that and and being a uh, major political force in the country, and that's what happened um, in twenty fifteen twenty sixteen, is that he completed that transition, but really as president, he is doing the same thing he did for NBC. It's the same project. A lot of people have pointed this out. This is this is not my, you know, this is not my original idea <laughs> or my original observation, but I mean it's obvious that Donald Trump treats the presidency like it's a reality show. So he's out there every day as I think, you know, Scarborough has pointed out. Far be it for me to to quote from Scarborough, <laughs> but as as he and others have pointed out, he's he's basically a day trader. He's his whole mission is to win the day, and every day is a different is a different fight, is a different episode of the reality television show. So when he tweets, um. Yes, it's meant to distract you from something else that they're doing because they're they're working on several different levels. I mean, they have an administration like every other Republican president. I, I've I've talked about this before. It's a lot of times um, the work of the administration is, is at odds with um, the work of Donald Trump himself or the opinions of Donald Trump Trump himself. Sometimes he departs on a policy basis from the policy of his administration. <laughs> it isn't always the case, but occasionally the case where he's sort of talking over it. But he is, in essence, um, 
a reality show president in that he's treating the United States government as if it's his it's his set on the apprentice right he treats it with all the seriousness of um a season of the apprentice so when he tweets that you know maybe we should delay the election maybe we should not have the election on november 3rd um everyone reacts and it's like the reaction to a uh reality television show so a lot of us hate it you know some of his followers i'm sure love it they love the idea um but a lot of people react negatively to that but it's the fact that you react at all that to them is success they're getting a rise out of you in some way you're responding to it in some way and that in some way legitimizes the um the rhetoric or the policy and again he is he has absolutely no personal investment in the institutions of government he has no respect for the institutions of government flawed as they are our constitutional government is is what we have and it is all that we have and he just sees that as another prop to use in his reality television show. If he wants to tear up the Constitution, if he wants to ignore relevant statutes saying that, you know, November 3rd is going to be the election this year, the national election is going to be held on November 3rd, then he'll do that and not feel any compunction about it because that'll get a rise out of people. And that's what makes people particularly nervous about this sort of thing across a broad spectrum because in this reality show presidency, we don't have a sense that there's anyone um, who's able to wield power um, who is also willing to constrain this president. We've seen um, the House of Representatives sort of impotently try to constrain this president and and be unable to do so in essence you know cause him a couple of headaches but not really stop him we've seen the senate completely unwilling to 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 constrain him at all they will not constrain him they will never remove him any thought of like impeaching this president is is just ridiculous. They're never going to remove him. So <laughs> when he says something like, well, I'm going to violate the Constitution. I'm going to violate uh, relevant statutes um, having to do with when elections are held. Um, I'm going to undermine public confidence in elections by saying that, I don't know, vote by mail is fraudulent that it's going to be massive fraud, setting the predicate for disputing the results of the election, particularly if it doesn't go his way. And this makes people nervous because they know that they don't really have, that we don't have anyone capable of constraining the power of the presidency, even though the president doesn't 
really have direct authority over administration of elections in the United States, from what I understand. I mean, elections in the United States are local, are locally administered. I mean, there's a federal interest in it. There's a state interest in it, but it's these are elections are held by, you know, localities, and the dates of the elections are set by state and federal government, and they are a matter of statute. We've held elections, you know, we held an election in the Civil War. <laughs> We've held elections through various conflicts and pandemics and you name it. There's absolutely no reason why we wouldn't have an election. But the president is treating government like it's his reality show set, like it's his cheesy NBC reality show set. And whereas someone might hesitate before toying with the idea of of transitioning the United States into an autocratic regime. Um, for Donald Trump, that's like, there's a kind of attraction to that because that would get people's attention. That would either make people mad or make them make them happy, right? But it would get a bunch of eyeballs. That's all he cares about. Well, that may, be, may not be all he cares about. He cares about self-enrichment, but that's that's his... That's his path to self-enrichment, right? Is to get people's attention. And if he turns the United States into an authoritarian regime, uh, he doesn't care about that. He doesn't have any kind of like institutional investment in democracy in the United States. He doesn't know anything about it. He doesn't care anything about it. These are very, very dangerous times. And we have to spend some time thinking about how we would respond to um, any kind of escalation in in this type of um, either rhetoric or activity on the part of the Trump administration to either move the election back or to cancel it altogether or to not leave <laughs> um if if they lose or to you know um constrain people's access to the ballot we have to think about how we will respond to this as a people you know we can't rely on other institutions of government to do our work for us we can encourage them to do so we can press our senators and our congresspeople. We can press our governors, right? We can try all of that, but we also have to rely on our own, our own ability to organize and to act collectively to respond to this. Um, because if Donald Trump doesn't take government seriously, if he just sees it as a means to, um, I don't know, uh, create a stir, you know. Um, it's like being in the hands of a, of a petulant child. Um, it's like a Twilight Zone episode. 
really disturbing. But again, we have to we have to be ready for for what could happen. I think what's likely to happen is that there there will be you know cries of fraud from the Trump camp, um, regardless of what happens in the election, whether it goes his way or not. They'll do the same thing they did in 2016, except ratchet it up to 11. Right? That's what they'll do. That's what they're planning to do. I think that's their game plan, and I think that's I think it's pretty obvious that that's what they're going to do. And we need to we need to be prepared. We need to plan for this. Um, it has to be people who are a lot smarter than me <laughs> who are doing the strategizing, but we have to plan for this. And to me, it seems obvious that one of the things that we'll need to do if there's some kind of you know frontal attack on either the the conduct or the results of the election is uh, something on the order of a general strike. We may need to all get out in the street, folks. It may be our our only chance. I mean, like I said, we need to come up with a strategy that's that's more nuanced than that. But we have to be prepared to do whatever is necessary to uh, defend whatever you know constitutional institutions we have that keep us from being a dictatorship. Because if letting the United States fall into some kind of dictatorship is helps Donald Trump, you know, raise his profile and brings him the results that he wants, then he'll do it. I'm sure he doesn't have any compunction about that. And then it'll be just a question of who goes along with him and who doesn't. Anyway, that is my dark vision for this week. That's all I've got to say about that. I'd like to hear what you have to say. I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. What are your ideas about how we should not only look at this, how we should respond to it? You know, are we are we prepared? as a society, to do um, what we need to do? I mean, these, these are all questions that I think we all have to consider um, from whatever perspective we can bring to the table. I'd, I would very much like to hear your thoughts on this. Um, if you would like to leave a voicemail message, um, I'd be happy to play it on the show. Uh, just do so at anchor.fm slash strange sound. You can find me on Twitter at strange sound pod. Um, you can also find links to our social media properties at anchor.fm slash strange sound. Um, we have a Facebook page and we have a YouTube channel and all that stuff. So you can contact us through any of those means, whatever you like. Um, and please do be glad to hear from you. Anyway, this has been strange sound. I'm Joe. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.